Well, hello there, Kathleen Helwitz. Hello there, Kim Maxwell. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for asking me. This is very exciting. I've never done this before. This is a first. Are you supposed to? Are you? (laughs) Are you supposed to make a wish or whatever? You know what, Miss Kathleen? You can actually do whatever you want to do. Okay. What would you like like to make a wish? Yes. But if I tell it, it won't come true. So you're just going to, like, leave the rest of us waiting, wondering what her wish was? (laughs) (laughs) You really want to know. I want to make it through my 80th birthday party in another month and a half. (laughs) Do you have a plan? Do you know where you're going to have your 80th birthday party? Oh, yes, and you're going to be getting an invite to it. (gasps) I'm so honored. I'm from here. Here's the story. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell, and I am a Townie. I am a Townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, the raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same to go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Episode 27, Front Row Lady. You have a nickname around town. Yes, I do. Would you care to speak to that? I am called the Front Row Lady. (laughs) And why are you called the Front Row Lady? Well, because about 30 years ago, I had an empty nest. My kids were all out of high school and gone. And I sought out something exciting in town, and I kind of followed the whatever it was that was leading me, and ended up at Theater 150. And I sat down in the front row, and I sat there for almost 25 years and didn't know I was doing something special. I just was enjoying myself and having fun and watching my friends have fun upstage and thinking to myself, thank God I'm not doing that. (laughs) I was very comfy in the front row. And uh when the kids would be in the back waiting to go on stage, they'd look out to see if I was sitting out there. And they dubbed me the front row lady. And it's kind of sweet. I like it. Uh, it's kind of sweet. That's a fabulous nickname. Has it really been 30 years? Just about in round figures. And I go into round figures at my age. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mess with all these little in-betweens. <laughs> and then years passed, and I decided I needed to get my butt up off the chair and do something. And so I joined the class. Thinking about class makes me smile. Um, Well, every time I look at you, I smile. Oh, thank you. Every time I see you, I can smile, too. Or think (laughs) about you. 
So other than getting up off your butt, as you so aptly put, what was the, because I remember I, I, I talking to you one time and just going, so when are you going to make the transition from being front row lady to being on stage lady? And you were like, now. And then you started. And was there anything in particular or was it just an instinct you had? I'm really not too sure. It's just that I've always had stories to tell and I never can be shut up. You know? <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, maybe we ought to write some of this down for somebody. Because I'm starting to forget it. <laughs> I think I'm turning a corner somewhere, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it sounded like fun. And uh, indeed, it is. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I have truly never had so much fun in my life. Standing up there all by myself under that spotlight, looking into the dark, is just an incredibly freeing experience that I never thought I'd have. Some of these days, you're going to miss me, honey. <laughs> Some of these days, you're going to be so lonely. You'll miss my hugging, and you're going to miss my kissing. You'll miss me, honey, when I go away. I feel so lonely, just for you only. You know you've had your way. And when you leave me, I know you'll grieve me. You'll miss your little daddy some of these days. As a young child, I was always threatening my sweet, loving father to run away from home. And he got me every time by singing some of these days and getting me to tearfully relent. Memories of the family mansion on Bunker Hill in downtown Los Angeles overlap my borderline personality disorder celebrity-obsessed mother and my alcoholic traveling salesman Irish father. There are piano recitals, gone bad, elementary school recitals, also a disaster, <laughs> followed by tears and tears and then more tears for my botched hair successfully shoved under my high school graduation cap after just a nip of sherry. <laughs> There was college, and then Spain, and being raped and having the child adopted away, followed by secrets, teaching elementary school in Watts, and driving across the Bay Bridge in a rainy evening when the angels beat the giants, where I ended up in the trunk of the car ahead of me with a steering wheel in my gut and a broken ankle. There's an unfortunate selection of a first husband. <laughs> ah, but a romance to end all romances of a second husband. And, uh, well, I never thought I'd get lucky for a third time of a husband. <laughs> who found my child who'd been adopted away 30 years earlier. There were stitches and casts and marriages and a substantial inheritance lost to a broken, angry, and lonely sister. Now there are eight kids, nine grandkids, and four greats. <laughs> then come the moves. First, 
east of the greater Los Angeles area to El Monte, mm -hmm. San Gabriel, Alhambra, mm -hmm. and then back west to LA, Brentwood, Santa Monica, Pacific Palisades, and finally to Ojai, to a lovely house where I grew mandarins for sun-kissed, and then another lovely house, and feeding birds with the children of children I'd fed birds with years and years before. I have been daughter, student, teacher, wife, mom, widow, artist, the bird lady, have a cookie with your juice at the bus stop lady, <laughs> front row lady, patron, neighbor, and friend. I have been mistaken for a nun by the beautiful homeless people I served at the soup kitchen in downtown Oakland behind the city jail. Parkinson's, acupuncture, homeopathics, hepatitis C, massage, hypertension, prayer, AFib like Arnold Pauber, mm -hmm. keeping the candle lit, restless legs, patience, and a 60th high school reunion, doing laundry, laundry, and more laundry, <laughs> and exercise followed by more and more exercise, and of course there was music, and more music, and I love to write. There have been thoughts, lots of thoughts, of ridding the world of things painful, things fearful, things hurtful. Yet each time one comes to mind, I realize that it has a reason to be here. Each has a lesson to teach. And without those lessons, we could never learn all that life has to teach. So as much as I would like to abolish Parkinson's, <laughs> cancer and death, thoughtlessness, harmful behavior and natural disasters, I think each has a value, a way to teach that no other has. I think ultimately we need the patience, compassion, acceptance, the understanding, forgiveness, and humility that these challenges bring, which allow us to be grateful for the positive aspects of life. Here is where the years of meditation pay off, learning to let go and allow judgment fear of change, needing to be right, need to control and vengeance, slip away to make room for the learning, and to find the ever-elusive inner peace we all crave. Above all, I know I'm never too old to learn. Some of these days, you're going to miss me, honey. Some of these days, you're going to be so lonely. You'll miss my hugging. You'll miss my kissing. You'll miss me, honey, when you go away. I feel so lonely just for you only. You know you've had your way. And when you leave me, I know you will grieve me. You'll miss your little daddy some of these days.
And that was the magnificent Kathleen Helwitz with her piece, Bunker Hill to Bird Lady. You have had such a big and full life. And it is a a pretty extraordinary perspective to have lived through all the stuff that you've... It's one of the things I love about the arc of all of your stories is um, it goes from back... What what year were you born? 1938. Wow. So it goes back from like pre-World War II up until now. And so it's this really glorious perspective that we, as sort of a youth-obsessed culture, tend not to listen to as much. What are some of the the memories or the things that pop for you in that? Well, I'm just thinking, uh, generally speaking, when I was born, children were seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. So being able to speak about what you saw was not acceptable. To have the notion that what you're thinking and feeling is okay, but somebody has to tell you it's okay, your mother or your father. Or like, my aunts would come to visit and they had a chauffeur and I'd be having tea with my aunts and I'd say, would Bruce, the chauffeur, like to have some tea? Oh no, he's not hungry, they would tell me. And so I'd excuse myself to use the ladies' room and I'd go to the kitchen and have someone put food on a plate and take it out to Bruce and he would inhale it. That was kind of my first indication that there was something wrong going on here because I had the sense that he was probably hungry and I was being told that he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it was a kind of a wake-up for me at a very early age, which I had to remember later in life. I didn't carry it with me cognitively for a long time, but then I picked up on the fact that, you know, nobody else is going to be able to tell me what I'm thinking or feeling. I need to be able to do that for myself. So I got a kind of a late start on being me. So what are some of the key things that gave you permission to step more fully into who you are as a person, artistically, personally, politically, philanthropically? Were there any people or any moments for you? My mother's mother probably was the best guide for me. She was a dear soul. She cooked soup. She had a pot of soup on the stove all day, every day, grew her own vegetables, and was very independent. And I think at some level I absorbed this, not so much in her telling me anything. It was just the model that she set for me. Mm-hmm. She wasn't afraid of anything. She was strong and and kind. And, and I always wanted to be like her. And she's probably the one that got me at least feeling these things, not so much acting on them yet. Mm-hmm. But I suppose when the time came and I got choices that were kind of out of the ordinary, like, do you stay married to a person that you're not fond of, or do you marry somebody who's from another country in another world, mm-hmm. you know, and older than your parents? I mean, these were decisions that were not what were being made by my friends <laughs> mm-hmm. who were marrying high school sweethearts, you know, and going off to have family for the next 50 years, and they're still married, and mm-hmm. and me, I'm... Married and divorced and married and divorced, or married and widowed and then divorced. And Is it getting a little hard to track, Kathleen? <laughs> you can tell by the vague look on my face, yes. It's married, divorced, widowed, and I'm now still married. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Thank you. 
light Looking at the world outside my window I've seen many things I never dreamed I would see Laying awake all night Rest my weary head upon my pillow Looking at the things I've done Thinking back when I was young Just a boy out on the run Playing games, having so much fun for free Oh my sweet reality Born baby cries Looks at me with them big bright eyes I'm wondering How life was such a wondrous thing More than what it ever really seems to be But here I am on my own I Spend all of my days now wondering Living from day to day The next one seems so far away Love might come But it won't stay At least that's what it sometimes Seems to say to me Oh my sweet reality Oh, my sweet reality. 
You were listening to Alan Thornhill with Sweet Reality from his beautiful album, Sittin' Out the Rain. To learn more about the music and performers featured on the Townies Podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. One of the other ways that I think of you is I think of you as such an incredibly fierce advocate for the voice of other people. You're a huge supporter of scholarships, not just at the studio, but in other sports organizations, kids finding a way to express themselves physically, emotionally, artistically. Right. Um, What would you say to one of those youngins about pursuing what it is that they love in life? Probably don't be afraid to make a mistake would be the first thing I'd say. And then I'd say, and do what you like, do what you love, do what makes you feel good. Because if you can do that and live the rest of your life doing that, you'll be the happiest camper on earth. Don't go and do something because somebody wants you to be a doctor or somebody wants you to be a whatever. It's your decision. It's your life. And go by what your gut tells you, not by what someone else is telling you to do. Because unfortunately, that was how my life started, was being told, you're cold, so put on a sweater. You know, or Bruce is not hungry, but he was. Do you have a favorite moment from your time on the stage at the studio or having been on stage elsewhere? The one that always comes to my mind was when I was reading the first line of the piece about my mother and her words came out of my mouth. You know I don't approve of you. And I'm looking straight at my neighbor, Jim. And he's sitting in his chair, pushing himself back farther and farther to get away from these terrible words. I'll never forget that as long as I live, because I didn't even realize he was sitting there until I actually looked at him and said those words. And I I thought, oh, I'm so sorry, Jim. I didn't mean to scare you. Well, you know I don't approve of you. (laughs) So you may be wondering what I am doing standing here wearing this blue bikini and drinking out of this carton from my fridge. Where did this behavior come from? Certainly I was raised to know better. Well, it kind of got all started when I was buying this sweet, creamy gelato at Rainbow Bridge. And one day I decided to forego the dish and started eating directly from the carton. (laughs) I figured maybe I'd eat less. I can't say for sure one way or the other. What I do know for sure is that it's been a slippery slope to drinking this perfectly protein mocha cappuccino right out of the carton in my fridge. It's not like I'm a zombie and I'm eating brains or anything, but it is kind of (laughs) gross. Well, you know I don't approve of you. I'm 21, (laughs) walking down the street in Rome, two girls from my European student tour with me. We are being followed by these three Italian boys practicing their English. We are each looking for a bathing suit. The hotel suits are way too pricey. So eventually we let these eager fellows lead us to an Italian store with wooden tables piled high with clothes, including swimsuits. After much trying and giggling and staring, we each bought a suit. I got a blue bikini. (laughs) And I liked the way it fit. Then it was early evening, 
on our next stop on the tour. But there were no sandy beaches nearby, just concrete walls with metal ladders leading down from the promenade, which was beginning to fill with early evening strollers. I waded out into the Mediterranean Sea in my new suit, attracting a bit of a crowd. I think they thought I was somebody famous. <laughs> it was silly and magical. When I returned home, my mother threw my bikini away. Aww. Well, you know I don't approve of you. Ah, the soundtrack that has underscored my life, sometimes soft and cautious, sometimes loud and penetrating. Well, you know I don't approve of you was originally composed and performed by my mother. <laughs> but has been covered by many artists, including all three husbands, <laughs> several teachers, a couple of bosses, a well-intended friend or two, and I'm pretty sure I've hummed a couple of bars myself. <laughs> well, you know I don't approve of you. I'm not sure what's been happening to me lately. I don't seem to be as worried as much as I used to be. I've either had too much therapy <laughs> or gone to too many 12-step meetings <laughs> or maybe my Parkinson's has just shaken my self-consciousness out of me. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm thinking of replacing that old soundtrack with something like, Hi, gorgeous. <laughs> I really love and appreciate you. <laughs> or, hi, hey, beautiful. Thanks for always having my favorite food in the fridge. <laughs> or, my dear sweet soulmate, you look like someone famous in that blue bikini. You should probably drink that perfectly protein mocha cappuccino <laughs> directly from the carton and then put it right back in the fridge. <laughs> Well, you know I don't approve of you. Yes, mother. <laughs> and a variety of other critics, I, I know you don't approve of me. It's just that I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> Which is not to be con confused with I don't care or that I'm being lazy. Let's create some perspective here. One, no one else in the house drinks this. Two, I'm not hurting anyone. Three, when my daughter comes to visit, I'll get out a glass and probably put on a pair of pants. In the meantime, I am going to stand right here in front of my fridge, inside my house, in my bikini, and celebrate my victory over oppression. I may even hug myself. <laughs> Kathleen Helwitz drinks from the carton in the fridge, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, she does. Thank you. And that was the fabulous front row lady herself, Kathleen Helwitz, with her piece, Approval. What is the worst crime you've ever committed, Kathleen Helwitz? Nice. Oh, that's a good question. 
I think it was something I stole off the counter at the grocery store that was supposed to be sweet and turned out to be very bitter. <laughs> and I think it may have looked like candy and turned out to be tobacco. Oh. Well, that's a hell of a metaphor. How old were you? Was this like last week at Westridge Market? or <laughs> No. <clears throat> no, I haven't done that lately. I don't need to go tell Dave. <laughs> I won't rat you out. I got your back, Kathleen. <clears throat> okay. No, I think that was probably five, six, something like that. Mm-hmm. Who was the coolest famous person that you've ever met? The coolest famous person yeah. that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Go all the way back. Who took your breath away? But I did not meet him. He was staring at me. <gasps> Who was staring at you, Kathleen Hellman? Omar Sharif. Really? Oh, God, yes. He was three rows behind me, and I was at the rehearsal for the Academy Awards, and he was sitting there. And I felt like something very hot was behind me, and I turned around, and there he was staring me. Staring something at... very hot was behind you. Yes, I realized. <laughs> <laughs> was this pre-Dr. Shivago <clears throat> or post? Uh, no, wasn't it something about Lawrence of Arabia? Oh, my father-in-law was the one who decorated the sets for the Academy, mm-hmm. and uh, his son, my husband, and I were there at the uh, rehearsal, and Nancy Wilson was singing, and Ethel Merman. Yeah, there he was staring at me, and I've read an article recently on my iPhone, the bearer of all information in the world, <laughs> and I, uh, I was not surprised to find out that he liked to stare at ladies. He was a flirt. You know what? No, I think it was just you, Kathleen. No, I don't <laughs> think so. I, I just think he probably had very good taste, but I, think I so, wasn't too. the only one. <laughs> Let's see. Who's your favorite writing and acting teacher? <laughs> Kim Maxwell Brown. <laughs> hip, hip, hooray. <clears throat> Forever and ever. And that's called fishing, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <clears throat> Did I say it right? You, well, you know, you did add my, my ex name on there, but that's okay. You can actually call me whatever you want. Well, we've known each other through multiple we, marriages we've and We've kind lives. of known each other through all that, haven't we? <laughs> right. Um, I don't think I have any other questions for you. Do you have any questions for me, Miss Kathleen? How are you? You know what I You I'm... look beautiful. Oh, thank you, honey. I'm good and all the better for seeing you. And I congratulate you again on your recent award. Oh, thank you, honey. Well-deserved, my dear. Thank you. I'm very excited. We all wish there were enough of you to go around for the rest of the world. But we're going to keep you here in Ojai. <laughs> and I will do what I am told, <laughs> there especially you go. by you. I love you, Miss Kathleen. I love you, Miss Kim. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of Freshly Minted Stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world. To laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, 
recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. Oh, I can take these guys off now? You can take those guys off now. Oh, cool. They're very hot. Like Omar Sharif hot or like regular hot? <laughs>